be 13 years on the 2nd of October since I began working full-time for this church. I was 34 years old then, and I'm now 47. When I came here, I had mostly black hair. Now the little I've got left, as you can see, is pretty much gray or going pretty much white. Now, if you want to know what I'll look like in another 13 years, then here's what FaceApp says that I'll look like then. Pretty scary, isn't it? Now, when we moved up here, it was a really daunting task to take on to lead a church. And to be honest, then, without being overdramatic or overly dramatic, I felt very vulnerable and at times isolated and at times really quite scared. I was only 34. Now, working for and leading a church full time is a really daunting task. And I was very much aware that I needed to make contact with other church leaders in the area for encouragement and support and advice. It's really helpful in life to get wisdom and advice from wiser and more experienced people than yourself. So I made contact with as many church leaders in the Newcastle area as possible. And out of all of those leaders, there was one person who became a really crucial contact for me. Ian Galloway was at that point the lead elder at City Church in Newcastle City Centre. And at that time, I'd never met him. I knew nothing about him, but I felt the Lord drawing me towards him. And to cut a long story short, Ian has become something of a mentor to me and has discipled me over these last 13 years. He's become a spiritual father to me. Now, I can honestly say that I am a better follower of Jesus, a better husband, a better father and a better church leader as a result of Ian's input to my life. Sometimes it's been a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's been a word of challenge. Sometimes it's been a word of advice. Sometimes it's been a rebuke. But it's always been with the aim of helping me follow Jesus more authentically. And the Apostle Paul, who was one of the main leaders of the early church in the New Testament, described himself as a spiritual father to a man called Timothy. And Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, which the Holy Spirit has preserved for us in the Bible. We've got First Timothy and we've got Second Timothy. And last year here at Regent, we worked right the way through the first letter of Paul to Timothy. And this year, for the rest of this year, up until Christmas, we're going to work our way through Second Timothy, Paul's second letter to Timothy. Now, Timothy was a young man who grew up in a place called Lystra, which is in what is now central Turkey. And he surrendered his life to Jesus and became a Christian when he heard the Apostle Paul preaching about Jesus, probably in about 48 AD. Paul was an apostle, which meant he was specially chosen by God to be a messenger of God with special authority in the early church. And as Timothy became a disciple of Jesus, as he listened to, to Paul preach, Paul took him under his wing. And Timothy became a co-worker with Paul, and he was involved in spreading the good news about Jesus, the, what we call the gospel, all over uh, the Middle East and uh, the Roman Empire. And he helped teach those who responded to the gospel. Timothy had a Jewish mum who had become a Christian and a Greek father who wasn't a Christian. So he came from a really kind of mixed background, racially, ethnically and also spiritually. About 12 years or so after becoming a Christian, Paul gave Timothy the task of overseeing the church or churches in Ephesus in what is now Western Turkey. Timothy was still regarded by Paul as being a young man. And at this stage in his life, he was he was seen by Paul as being young. And it seems as though Timothy's age caused him to feel intimidated by some people, especially those who were older than him, because he was so young. And it seems that as well as being 
young and, and a bit shy or timid, Timothy also suffered from a stomach illness that caused him frequent problems. Maybe he had Crohn's disease like Ida, we don't know. So here was Timothy, a young man struggling with illness, feeling inferior, often feeling intimidated by other people, especially those who are perhaps older than him, and given this daunting leadership role in a church that had the potential really to overwhelm him. And so Paul, who's the one who's preaching, had led Timothy to trust in Jesus, his spiritual father, and the one who had given him this key role in Ephesus. Paul writes on two separate occasions to Timothy, probably in about 60 AD, to encourage him and to instruct him. And you can imagine Timothy getting the first letter and then sometime later the second letter from Paul and just receiving great help and encouragement from them to be reminded that he wasn't on his own, to be reminded about what was really important in life for himself and what to focus on in the church and how to run and structure a local church, to what to look out for in his own personal life and in the life of the church there in Ephesus. So as we start this new series in Second Timothy, we're going to start today by reading the first section, which is Second uh, uh, Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. I'm going to read that to you. So if you've got a Bible, you can look at it at home. The words should be up on the screen for you, and I'm going to read it to you. So it's Second Timothy, Paul's second letter, Timothy, and Paul is in prison when he writes these words, and he says these words to Timothy. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I might be filled with, your, filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love and of self-discipline. Now, Paul probably wrote this letter to Timothy, this, this second letter to Timothy, in around about 60 AD. And this was when Paul was in prison for telling other people about Jesus. In chapter two, which we'll look at in a few weeks time, in chapter two, verses eight to nine, we read this. This is my gospel writes Paul, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. And it seems that Paul expected that he would probably never get out of prison and would instead end up being executed. In chapter four, verses six to eight, he says this, the time for my departure is near, referring to his uh, to the end of his life. The time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. Yet, despite being in prison and despite expecting to be executed, Paul begins his letter to Timothy with these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul knew and he believed that he that the special role that he had as an apostle and the situation that he found himself there in prison was all a part of God's will. God hadn't lost control of Paul's life. This was all by the will of God. It was God who had appointed him. And one of the things that was sustaining Paul through this 
through this time in prison was what he refers to as the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that he had eternal life right now and that if and when he died, he would spend eternity with Jesus. He had the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And, you know, as we find ourselves in a very strange time this year with the coronavirus and with all the worries and fears that it brings, as well as all the frustrations that the restrictions bring, it's so important that we remember that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that God is working out his purposes in and through our lives and the circumstances we find ourselves in. Even if we don't like the circumstances, God is still working his purposes out. It's so important that we remember God is in control. What is happening around us and to us is not outside of his will and not outside of his control. So we need to submit to him as he works in and through our circumstances. And should the worst happen and we find ourselves facing death because of the virus or for any other reason for that matter, what is the worst that could happen to us? Well, we would die. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus, then that would be horrendous. That would be a disaster to be separated from God for all eternity in a place the Bible calls hell, a place of suffering and, and, and punishment against our sin from a holy God. But if we've trusted in the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, then we would die and we'll go to be with Jesus. And so if we've trusted in Jesus, we can't lose. To live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 21. If we're alive, then we live for Jesus. And if we die, then we get to be with Jesus. What a fantastic hope and a fantastic promise we have if we've trusted in Jesus. And so as Paul begins this letter to Timothy, he reminds us, reminds him, what is at the heart of being a Christian? He says this to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace, mercy and peace are three words that sum up the whole Christian faith. Grace means God giving us what we don't deserve. Not only does God uh, forgive us when we trust in Jesus, he also gives us the righteousness of Jesus. He views us in the same way as he views Jesus. It's amazing. That's God's grace. God treating us in a way we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding what we do deserve. We deserve God's wrath and, and judgment and punishment against our sin. But when we trust in Jesus, God withholds that. He shows us mercy. And he withholds his judgment. And peace describes the relationship we now have with God. The Bible says that before we trusted in Jesus, we were God's enemies. We were by very nature objects of wrath. And yet now we have peace with God. We've been united with him and we have peace with God through Jesus. And no doubt it would have really encouraged Timothy, hugely I guess, to be reminded of these amazing facts, these amazing truths as he read these words from Paul, just these very opening words in this second letter, God's grace, God's mercy and God's peace. Paul addresses Timothy as my dear son. Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. He wasn't his physical father, but he was his spiritual father. It was through Paul's preaching about God's grace, about God's mercy and God's peace that Timothy had trusted in Jesus some years earlier. And Paul had discipled and mentored Timothy, and they were incredibly close. In fact, Timothy co-authored six of the New Testament books with Paul. Timothy really mattered to Paul, and he poured so much of his life into him. And we can see that as we read these letters from Paul to Timothy. Paul says in verses three to four, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience 
as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. Timothy was right at the very top of Paul's prayer list and he was desperate to see him again face to face. In a moment, we're going to look at the spiritual influence that Timothy's physical mother and grandmother had on him. But you don't have to be a physical parent to be a spiritual parent. Paul wasn't Timothy's physical father, but he was his spiritual father. In Galloway, he's not my physical father, but he is something of a spiritual father to me. And Ian's not the only one. There's been a number of men throughout my life who are godly men that have influenced me and helped me in my walk with God. So here's a question for you this morning. Here's a question for you at home. Who are you seeking to lead like a spiritual father or mother? Who are you seeking to lead? Who are you seeking to disciple? Who To who are you a spiritual father or mother? You don't have to be a church leader. You don't have to be old to be a spiritual father or mother to another Christian. You just need to want to help other Christians grow in their faith. It may be that you don't have another Christian in your life that acts like a spiritual father or mother to you. And if that's the case, then can I encourage you to find one? Who do you have in your life that's discipling you? Who do you have in your life that's discipling you and acting like a spiritual father or mother to you? They don't have to be a church leader. They don't have to be older than you, but just someone that you look up to and respect. Every Christian should be being discipled by someone and every Christian should in turn be discipling someone else who is spiritually younger than them. Disciples make disciples. So, Who are you discipling and who is discipling you? To whom are you a spiritual father or mother and who is your spiritual father and mother? Paul was like a spiritual father to Timothy and from what we can work out, Paul's uh, sorry, uh, Timothy's physical father wasn't a Christian, but his mother and his grandmother were. And they had both been a really big spiritual influence in Timothy's life. Paul says this in verse five. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you. About 12 or so years earlier, Timothy had made the decision to put his own faith and trust in Jesus when he had heard Paul preaching. But Timothy hadn't just taken that step in some kind of vacuum. Timothy's mother and his grandmother had taught him the Old Testament scriptures. They'd prayed for him. They had taught him. They had lived lives that were godly examples to him. And all of this had influenced the decision that he then made when he heard Paul preaching. Paul says to Timothy later on in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, again, we'll look at this in a couple of weeks, but he says this, but as for you, writing to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. He's referring to uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy's dad wasn't a Christian, but his godly mother Eunice and grandmother Lois had left a big spiritual legacy in Timothy's life. They taught him about God from infancy. And this is such a challenge and a great encouragement to those of us who are physical parents. What kind of legacy are we trying to leave our children? Are we focused on leaving a spiritual legacy 
Or are we focused on leaving a financial material legacy? There's so much pressure on parents today to get their children a good education and you've got to get your kids into the right schools. You've got to move house to get the right school. You've got to get your kids into university. You want to get your kids married and to get a good job and to have a secure career and a nice big house and a good big car and have nice things in life and a, and a great future. And if possible, you want to leave them as much money as possible when you die so that they can inherit your wealth. That's how the world around us tries to get parents to behave towards their children. That's the kind of standards that we are bombarded with and encouraged to live by as parents. But that is not the biblical way. The biblical way is to leave our children a spiritual legacy. I, I really despair when I hear Christian parents obsessing with what uni their kids are attending or what jobs their kids have got or how big their kids houses or how well their children are doing at school or in their careers you know the only thing the only thing that actually matters in life is whether or not our children love Jesus and are seeking to follow him in comparison to that everything else is just fluff if you are a parent or a grandparent can I plead with you can I encourage you to focus on leaving a spiritual legacy for your children and your grandchildren. Pray for them, pray with them, read the Bible to them and read the Bible with them. Talk about the gospel with them, talk about Jesus with them, show them how much you love Jesus, live an authentic Christian life in front of them. And demonstrate by the way that you live and the way that you handle your marriage and your job and your finances and your possessions that Jesus is number one and is all that really matters to you and is all that really should matter to them. As parents, we can't choose for our kids what they will do with Jesus. That's a choice that, like Timothy, they will ultimately have to make for themselves as they grow up and grow older. And some will choose that and some will reject Jesus. But we can leave a spiritual legacy and we can pray that they will at some point in their lives trust in Jesus and go on to become the radical followers of Jesus that he calls us all to be. And if right now your children or your grandchildren even are not following Jesus and are not living for him, then don't give up. Please don't give up. Keep on praying for them. Keep praying that they will give their lives to Jesus for the first time, as Timothy once did when he heard Paul preaching. Or perhaps that like the prodigal son in the parable that Jesus told, they will return to what they know is true and right and will once again live for Jesus. Keep praying. Don't give up praying for them. Influenced by his godly mother and godly grandmother, Timothy had trusted in Jesus when he heard Paul preach 12 years or so before. And the Holy Spirit had given Timothy certain abilities to serve God and to serve people with. And one of those Holy Spirit given abilities or spiritual gifts, as the Bible calls them, had been given to Timothy through Paul. Look at verse six. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. It seems that from the context and the contents of both letters, as we put them together, from Paul to Timothy, that, that the spiritual gifts that Paul was referring to here were the gifts of Bible teaching and, and church leadership. And Paul was concerned that because Timothy was conscious 
that he was really quite young and felt intimidated by people and felt somewhat overwhelmed trying to lead this church in Ephesus or, or take on this key role in this church in Ephesus. Paul was concerned that Timothy wasn't stepping up and using these spiritual gifts that God had given him. He, he, he wanted Timothy to fan into flame these gifts. He had these gifts, but they were more like a little candle flame than a big roaring fire. And Paul wanted Timothy to fan the candle flame from a small flame into a big fire. In fact, this was the second time that he'd had to say this kind of thing to Timothy. If you look back into 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says this, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy was in danger of allowing the pressure of his circumstances to prevent him from stepping up and using the gifts that God had given him and being the kind of leader that he was meant to be and God wanted him to be and intended him to be. You know, every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. If you are a Christian, you have at least one spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are abilities that the Holy Spirit gives to us so that we can serve God and serve others. Some of the spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament are more public uh, in, in, in nature. Some are clearly miraculous. We might describe them in a kind of miraculous way. Others might seem more routine to us. Some are much more behind the scenes gifts, but they're all from the Holy Spirit. Some of them we receive the moment we become a Christian and some we might receive at a subsequent point in our life, uh, just like happened to Timothy here that we're reading about. If you've printed off the outline that I sent out this week on the uh, weekly email update, you'll see some references to all the spiritual gifts that the New Testament lists. And you can look into those a bit more in your own time if you want to do that. What I've also done is attached a spiritual gifts questionnaire or survey, which is a simple tool that asks a number of questions that helps us identify what our spiritual gifts are if we don't already know. And I really encourage you to print that off this week and work through it in your own time and that will help you if you don't already know it will really help you be clearer about what your spiritual gifts are or what they at least might be and if you want to chat with me or with Paul or Keith or maybe your spiritual father or mother if you want to chat with someone else about those uh, spiritual gifts then, then, then do that this week get in touch with one of the elders uh, or, or someone that you respect and you want to talk that through because it's so important that we know what our spiritual gifts are and that we use them. We mustn't neglect our gifts. We, inst we need instead to fan them into flame. What spiritual gifts do you have? And are you using your spiritual gifts and your general abilities? Because they're just as much from God as spiritual gifts are. Are you using your spiritual gifts and your general abilities to serve God and to serve others? Please don't neglect your spiritual gifts. Fan them into flame. Step up and step out and use them so that you can serve God in the way that he wants you to. Seems that Timothy had the spiritual gifts that he needed to be the main leader of the church there in Ephesus. But he was significantly influenced in a negative way by his own insecurities. So Paul says to him, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power of love and of self-discipline. Timothy was in danger of allowing the fact that he was young and naturally timid and, and had seemed to have some health issues as well to dictate the way that he behaved and to dictate the way that he led the church. 
He was in danger of allowing these things to dictate the way that he used the spiritual gifts and natural abilities that God had given to him. And we can fall into that very same trap. There can be all sorts of reasons why we don't step up and use the spiritual gifts and natural abilities that God has given to us. But the net result is the same. When we allow our circumstances to dictate our actions and our behaviour, we lose out. Those in our church family lose out. And ultimately, in one sense, God loses out. But it doesn't need to be that way. And it shouldn't be that way because the Holy Spirit is within us. If we've trusted in Jesus, we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't give us a, a, a sense of timidity or fear. He gives us power. He gives us love. And he gives us a sound mind, a, an attitude of self-discipline. That's the, these are some of the outworking, the result of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we allow our natural timidity or our natural fears to dictate how we behave and what we do for God, then we're allowing our old nature, our old identity to be in charge. But we have a new nature, we have a new identity in Christ and the Holy Spirit is within us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you and is alive in me. If we've trusted in Jesus, isn't that amazing? So don't be constrained by your natural self or your circumstances. Let the Holy Spirit empower and lead you so that you use the spiritual gifts and the natural abilities that he has given you to serve God and those around you. And don't wait to be asked. Don't wait for the elders to ask you to do it. If you've got those abilities, step forward and do it. Come and see us. Tell, tell us what you've been gifted in and, and so that you can crack on and fan into flame those gifts and, 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 and serve God and serve others doesn't matter if you're 12 or 22, 62 or 82. If you've trusted in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is alive in you and he's given you power and he's given you love and he's given you a sound mind. He's given you spiritual gifts. Every single Christian has at least one spiritual gift. And he's given you all sorts of natural abilities as well, which are just as much from him. So don't neglect these gifts, these abilities. Fan them into flame like a roaring flame from a candle flame to a big fire. It must have been great for Timothy, this young, timid church leader with stomach problems, to have a spiritual father like the Apostle Paul. Over the next few weeks, we're going to study the words that Paul wrote to Timothy in his second letter. And as we do so, and as we think about how we can respond to the grace, mercy and peace that we've received from God, that we read about there in, back in verse two. Can I encourage you and challenge you with these questions this morning? Who is discipling you? And who are you discipling? If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, are you focusing on leaving a spiritual legacy for your children and your grandchildren? Or are you more worried about their worldly status? And what spiritual gifts and natural abilities has God given you? And are you using them to serve God and to serve others? Let's just take a few moments to reflect on those questions. And then I'm going to pray. What is God saying to you today? What is God, the Holy Spirit, what it, what, how is he just putting his finger on your life and just prompting you? What's he saying to you this morning? And if he's speaking to you, then respond to him and do whatever it is he's calling you and prompting you to do. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the grace, the mercy, the peace that we get, that we receive in Jesus. Thank you that you treat us in a way that you don't that we don't deserve. Thank you that you withhold what we do deserve. Thank you for the wonderful relationship we get with God. We pray that we would learn from this wonderful letter from Paul to Timothy and that we would put into practice the things that we learn, the things that we can take on board too. Help us to be those who uh, are spiritual fathers and mothers to others. Help us to also seek the spiritual input of others in our own lives. Help us to uh, leave spiritual legacies in our children's lives and our grandchildren and even our great-grandchildren. Help us to use the spiritual gifts and the natural abilities that you've given to us that we might serve you and serve others, we pray, that you might be glorified in our lives. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.